Hi everyone, welcome to HubShots episode 280. In this episode, we are talking about HubSpot list best practices, especially for building marketing campaigns. And we're going to go through things like the types of lists, the categories of lists, what the list limits are. And often people say, what are the active lists versus static lists? The power of lists, especially when using and reporting and how to use lists in different things like pop-up form targeting, contact views, smart content campaigns, and in CMS pages, but also in integrations. You are listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, and strategies for growing your sales, service, marketing, and now operations results. My name is Ian Jacob from Search and Be Found, and with me is Craig Bailey from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Really well, Ian, and very excited about another episode where we're going to dive deep into the next area of building a marketing campaign from start to finish. We covered that in an overview a current couple of episodes ago, and last week we looked at forms. This week we are looking at lists, and as you said, the power of HubSpot lists. That's right, and lists are building blocks, and that is really how we need to think about it when we are building our lists. So listeners, keep that in mind as we go through this. All right, Craig. So tell us more about active lists. All right. Well, we're going to get onto the types of lists in a second, but predominantly you'll be using active lists. And uh, for example, in our portal, I think almost 90% of the lists we have are active lists. I'll explain the difference in a second. But the power of lists is all around how you can underpin and overall best practices with your HubSpot portal. They look after results. They look after forms, smart content, and provide access. They are your best friend. And we've got a little image in the show notes, which I think adequately exemplifies what lists are to HubSpot. Let's talk about active versus static lists. Now, active, in fact, both lists, active lists and static lists, are based on criteria. The difference is that active lists, they update automatically all the time. So they're always up to date based on the criteria in your list. Whereas static lists, if you use criteria, are set at the time that you saved the list. We actually rarely use static lists with criteria instead. And this is a benefit of static lists. Because you can manually add or remove contacts from them, that's how we normally use them. And we'll have some examples later in the show. So the difference there, active, they're updated automatically all the time. Static, they just stay as they were when saved or if you add to them. So you might think, well, why would you actually use static lists? What are some examples? And we will go through a few of these as we continue on in the show, but it's really about giving you power, granularity to add contacts. For example, someone you want to suppress, add them manually to a suppression list. Perhaps you want to delete them, but there's going to be other things you check. Just manually add them to a list, and we do have examples. I think one of the things that I want to highlight early on, though, Ian, is how many lists should you have in your portal? We often come across this, and this, I think, is a stumbling block for portals. When we go into portals and look at how many lists they've got, if they've only got a few lists, we know that they're not using HubSpot to its full potential. But when we go into a portal and we see hundreds of lists, we know, okay, They've got the concept. They understand the power of lists and they're using them. But here's the thing. 
unless they're named correctly, they can get unwieldy. So we do have some details around naming conventions in lists. But in our portal, for example, we've got more than 600 lists. And if you're one of those minimalist, clean, organized people like me, myself, I have to say, you will initially resist wanting to create lots of lists. You want to keep it nice and ordered, but you've got to, you've got to resist that. Lists are your friend. Build them, create them, go for it, and then use them as building blocks, as we'll see further on. So uh, a little bit about naming conventions. How do you name your lists, Ian? Because I know you've got a lot of lists in your portal as well kind of approach do you use with naming conventions? Yes. So I guess what we're going to talk about is some tips in terms of doing that. So first thing, we want to make sure we start with brand. And we actually, so if you have an enterprise portal, you might be running multiple brands. But if you, even if you don't, and because we manage lots of portals, we make sure we always brand our list so we know exactly which portal it's in just as a, as a good habit, I guess, Craig. And then what you want to do is make sure you have the purpose of the list. So is it for form submissions, workflows, reports, emails? Then you want a description. Example, what lifecycle stage could be customers, could be something behavioral, could be types of contacts, etc. Next, you might want to do is indicate the part of the campaign that it belongs to or journey. And then you want to actually have the outcome. So is it is the outcome to promote something, to nurture? Is it internal? That's really important. Make sure you name those correctly or is it suppression? And then often as an option you can use at the end, which I just learned from you recently, Craig, was having the, whether it's static because it makes it easily identifiable when you're adding it in different places. So let's talk about the number of lists. And listeners, if you're looking or if you're, if you're listening and then you watch the YouTube video, you'll actually see or get the show notes. You'll see the naming conventions in, of how, what we do because we've got lots of screenshots in this show so you can understand. Now, let's understand the number of lists. And this is where people often have questions because in different versions of HubSpot, uh, there are different numbers of lists that you can have. Now, we often talk about professional enterprise, but on the free and starter marketing, you get for free, you get five active lists and a thousand static. On starter, you get 25 active and a thousand static. And on the portals that we often use, which is professional enterprise, you start off with a thousand active and a thousand static and enterprise 1500 static and 1500 active lists. So definitely there's no shortage. So like we said before, the better you can segment your data your contacts, companies, et cetera, the better you can utilize the data within HubSpot for all sorts of reasons, which we're going to go through. All right. So let's talk about list criteria, Craig. All right. So here's the real power. We've just done a bit of preamble where we've talked about lists, active versus static, and uh, maybe some naming conventions. Now let's get into the power of lists, why they are so powerful. And the reason is because you can filter across a number of categories. And in the show notes, we've actually got some screenshots here of which highlights it, but there's a number of different areas. For example, contact properties, of course, you might know, well, of course, we can build a list based on any of the contact properties. That's no surprise. However, you can also filter, that is segment down 
your contacts based on other objects. For example, is a contact associated with a deal or a ticket or a quote? Then are they used or have they been in workflows? So in assets, are contacts used in workflows or other lists? Perhaps based on behavior, have they engaged with forms or ads or emails or pages or calls to action? And then finally, integrations. Is there any integration with this contact with, say, PandaDoc or Hotjar or MailChimp or any of the hundreds of different integrations that you can have in HubSpot? So don't skip over this and miss the power here. This is why lists are so powerful and why they are foundational building blocks to best practices using HubSpot. Because you can build these lists based on any of these criteria, they actually give you the granularity to segment in just about any particular area of your portal, anything that a contact is doing or involved in. And this gives you power not only in reporting on it, but also then engaging with that contact. Imagine the power that you have when you can drill down into very specific engagement types that they do or particular integration types and then maybe only interact with those people in a certain way, perhaps the emails you send or the smart content that you show on pages. Extremely powerful. And I think that's one of the key takeaways. There's a few takeaways in today's show, and this is one of the first, uh, one of the main ones that we want to highlight first, the power of this, all these different criteria. Now, if you get the show notes, we've actually highlighted some of the key ones that often appear that we use in our lists. This is the power. Don't miss it. So that's probably a good intro. And now what we're actually going to spend a bit of time, uh, probably the majority of the show, is working through examples. This is real-world examples of the lists that we create and use in HubSpot portals. So let's jump into it, Ian. What are some of the first types of lists that we create and recommend that people create in their portals? Okay, so the first kind of list you want to create is form submission lists. And it's probably the simplest one you can create. And you will see most people will create a list that says, just tell me all the people that submitted a form on any page. And now another question people often ask us is, do I need to create separate forms on each page so I know exactly what's going on or where it is? And this is how you would essentially segment your, because you could select the same form on a particular page and tell who is actually submitting it. So it's a great way to filter out and make those submissions worthwhile to you. So there's a simple example here where you've got a submission was filled out on a particular page or a particular form on any page, and then you can work out what's going on. So just on that second example, so we've gone from any form on any page to a bit more specific. Now we've said they've filled out a set of particular forms in this Example, two different forms. So we've said, oh, this is actually they've filled out a form or a pop-up form related to a brand. Now, if you get the show notes, you'll see that the naming here is uh, useful because in the naming of the list, the first part is the brand, the second part is a particular product, and then the third part of the name of the list is called all form submits, and that's actually the purpose or description. So it's an example of how we name lists. So there's lists, and then if we keep going down, you'll actually see we can get even more granular around our lists. We can further refine, perhaps based on specific pages, as you alluded to earlier, and perhaps it's date. They've only filled out a form in the last seven days. Perhaps it's number of submissions. They've filled out this form a number of times. 
that might be an important criteria that you want to create a list for. Show me just the people that have filled out this form three times or more in the last week, depending on what it is. So this is all possible in HubSpot. By the way, I want to highlight or um, remind people that you don't need to remember the how to do this. So the big takeaway from this episode should be, ah, what is possible? Don't feel you've got to remember how to do it. Just remember the what. This is what's possible. You can always come back to the show notes for the details on the how. The next is life cycle stages. And so common here are some common ones. You might want to say the life cycle stage is any of customer and you've got a separate one in the example here to do with personas that are available. So you've got particular personas like marketing managers, analysts, digital marketers. And so you're actually in the example, segmenting that in that list. And in most portals, some of the lists that you should be building is to do with the life cycle stage of leads, marketing qualified leads. You can do sales qualified leads as well, opportunities and customers. And so really simply what you want to be doing, filter by life cycle stage. And if you look at the show notes, it'll say life cycle is any of marketing qualified lead. And again, these are building blocks. Consider these foundational lists, a list of all the marketing qualified leads. You might actually use that later in a report or in another list. We'll come to that later in the show. That's right. And now let's talk about internal staff lists is the next lot of lists you might want to do. And this is handy to create and it might help you exclude on many other lists and activities in terms of what you want to do. And the simplest way to do this is to do it by email domain. And you can say where the email domain is equal to any of and then your domain name. So that's the best way to do it. If you want to catch everybody in your organization and add them to a staff list. That's really handy. For example, if you just want to send an email to staff, but also if you want to exclude staff from maybe getting external emails. Next up, we look at some of those lists that are useful for cleansing or keeping data under control. So bounced contacts. We've actually got a few examples here of the criteria that you can use for determining contacts that have bounced. And then the reason you might want those, you might actually just want all bounced or perhaps you want to say, oh, they only bounced for a particular reason. And then why would you want to do that? Well, you might want to use them in suppression lists, which is the next kind of list. Uh, for our portals and for customers, uh, we actually create suppression lists, which are lists of contacts that we don't want to be used in workflows or getting emails. I've got an example in the show notes of uh, how we often do it. It'll be a combination, a suppression list will be a combination of things like, do we want to delete them or have they unsubscribed or have they bounced or other criteria like that. So that's a suppression list and they're used later. We'll talk about that later in the show. Next up are behavioral lists. We've already talked about form submissions, but what are some of the other behavioral characteristics we can segment our lists on? The ones that are most commonly used are the emails. If people have opened, clicked or not opened, as, as I sometimes do when I do resends, uh, pages they've visited, call to actions that they've clicked. And that's very underutilized, I have to say, Craig. And also ads people have engaged with. So it's a great way to, to do that based on behavior. And there's many more in here in terms of you can even do marketing events 
as it's something else as well. So just be aware of that, especially if you've got marketing events set up in your portal. So now here we have a list of contacts who have clicked a link in the NPS survey and then we send them we send them to new HubShot subscribers. And so you can see in here where it says marketing email activity has clicked any link in that email. And then we want to use that to trigger off the next subscription. And also in this example, Craig, you've showed us uh, ad related to an e-commerce site, right? Well, that's right. Um, one of our sites and we've just said, here's a way to check ads interaction. So whether they've got a Facebook campaign related to the contact or perhaps a Google campaign or a LinkedIn uh, ad ID. Now, if you're seeing this, if you're watching this on YouTube, you might actually say, oh, I've noticed you've also put in a criteria of contact owner and I've got some little tips in the show notes. I won't go through now, but why I do that, it's a way that we use to distinguish between brands by using different HubSpot users. A little bit of a pro tip there. You can drill into the show notes for more. Speaking of engagement, we now look at engaged lists. So remember, this is a whole section talking about all the different types of lists that we typically create in HubSpot portals. So some of the criteria we use based on that, um, those behavioral characteristics are things like page views. If a contact has viewed more than 20 page views, maybe they go onto an engaged contacts list or perhaps they've used, viewed particular pages in the last two weeks. We might consider them recently engaged. And on the flip side of engaged, there's unengaged. These are quite useful for perhaps deleting out contacts that are unengaged or sending them warm-up emails and they're things like they haven't visited the site recently or they haven't opened emails for a while or they haven't actually clicked on emails or submitted a form. So we've got some examples in the show about that as well. However, did want to just highlight a little bit of a gotcha, which is it's increasingly the case that HubSpot is not able to pick up whether a contact has opened an email. We won't go into all the details, but it's related to Apple's new privacy and then a lot of people are using ad blockers. So when they open an email, a HubSpot email from you, it doesn't register as having opened. So you might see open rates going down, for example. But what we've got in the show is an example of a list we built where they're considered unengaged, but they have actually clicked. So if you see that example there on the screen, and we've actually got a particular list. It's got 491 contacts who... HubSpot thinks they haven't opened an email. Yes. We know that they've clicked a link in the email. So there's an example right there. These people are engaged because they've clicked a link in the email, but actually HubSpot didn't know they'd opened the email. So just a good example there of those privacy rules from Apple and others causing havoc. And that's just a quick way to test. All right, on to some others. What's some other lists we use typically? The next one is to figure out contacts that don't have an owner, so an unknown where you don't have a contact owner. So that's a really common one just to make sure that we are keeping everything clean in the system. So that's that's a global list that uh, we recommend everybody have. All right, the next one is a list to keep your database cleanse, Craig. So here's just some examples of using engagement. Look, there's lots of different ways you could check, but for example... If a contact, the last time they visited your site was more than 180 days ago, 
and they haven't opened any marketing emails, keep in mind that that might be that privacy affected thing, or they haven't clicked it and they haven't clicked any emails. In fact, they haven't had any activity for the last 180 days. Maybe you want to delete them. They're no longer considered a contact. It's up to you. That's just an example. And normally with the clients we work with, we kind of work with them to determine what's realistic. Sometimes they might have very seasonal clients that that they only really communicate with, say, once a year. Perhaps, you know, they're a ski store or something like that. So we'd increase that length. It'd be more than 180 days. But you get the get the idea. We're looking at engagement. Are they unengaged? We haven't uh, they haven't responded, so maybe you want to delete out some of those contacts. It's up to you. Uh, but there's just some examples there. All right. The next one we're going to talk about the unsubscribe list. So we want to make sure these is actually to clean up and to delete. So essentially what you will see is they've unsubscribed from all email and make sure their lifecycle stage is subscriber or lead and not customers because you might want to actually keep that in there because you're continually communicating with them in other channels and then they might be belonging to your newsletter list in this case, as you'll see in the show notes. So make sure you've got your criteria tight so you don't delete things that you shouldn't be deleting. So that's a really good tip there. All right. Now, HubSpot Active List Power Tips, Craig. Yeah, well, you just had, uh, we did kind of touch on this before, but checking for ads activity, just wanted to call this one out again because ads interaction is one of those very useful insights into contacts that are in your database that is perhaps overlooked and you can do it with lists. So another example and screenshots here about whether they've associated with an ad from a Facebook campaign or Google ads campaign. That's a bit of a power tip because we can then narrow down who are the contacts that have engaged, not just because their their original source was an ad, but Mm -hmm. they might've come back later after clicking on an ad. And often that's hard to find. We are, Often in our reporting, we're just like, oh, what was the, well, their original source? How'd they originally come? Oh, from paid. But we want to check, well, what's if they came back later from an Correct. ad? That's the way to do it. Ads interactions. That's right. And you might want to actually create in this instance a single list to do with Facebook ad campaign interaction, one with Google ad campaign and one with LinkedIn, and you might want to then join that in a master list to figure out who have interacted on all those channels, unlike what I have given in the screenshot. Okay, so using lists in other lists, so lists of lists, Craig. Well, this is it. We've uh, looked at some of the simple building blocks, and then the next step is, well, how do you uh, use these? And the great power of HubSpot building on this is you can use lists of lists, that is, you build a list that includes contacts from a range of other lists. And we saw a few examples earlier when we we're looking at suppression lists, but just wanted to remind people about that. That's the power. That's kind of a power tip. And then the final thing to say about this is, well, all of that stuff we've gone through, it can seem overwhelming. Oh, there's so many things to look at. We've been through so many examples. It feels overwhelming. Here's what I'll remind you. Just remember, this is what HubSpot can do. Don't get caught up on thinking you have to remember how to do it. What's possible is a lot. How to do it can be hard to remember. Come back to the show notes when you need to. So that's a whole bunch of examples. Next, let's have a look at some reporting, getting looking at how we see reports over time. So what we love to see is viewing list performance. And this, I think, is actually very underutilized, Craig. 
So understanding a source, life cycle, and country of contacts. And in the last three days, those who have visited your website, I think you should say 30 days, converted on a form, opened an email, clicked an email, submitted an NPS survey. So if you're looking for this, not readily available at times, but what you should be aware is that it uh, comes up in a button where you can click the more button and you'll see a view list performance in there. And once you get there, you will see a screen that looks like this, which breaks down all the engagement. And there are certain bits of this that you can actually add to your reports. So well worth doing and understanding because you can actually see which forms essentially are working well if if that's how your lists are being managed and created. You can see where those interactions are and what's working and what's not. So a really clear indicator. So something well worth looking at on a monthly basis. Okay, using lists in other assets, Craig. All right. So first thing is, how do you know if you've used a list in another asset? For example, has it been used in a workflow or a report or an email or or in another list for the matter? Well, it's very simple. If you're viewing your lists, you'll see right over on the right-hand side, a column that says used in. In the screenshot, in the show notes, we've just ordered by that used in. And the very first one, which actually is used the most in our portal, it's our global suppression list. It's actually used in 64 different assets. And if you click that 64, you'll actually get a little pop-up where HubSpot will tell you, oh, it's it's used in a variety of other areas. In, in this example, it's used in 57 workflows. That's because we use it as a suppression list, obviously, to suppress contacts going into a particular workflow. So that's very handy. So what does that all mean? Well, it means that lists, as we've said, are the building blocks. Have we mentioned that, Ian? (laughs) Lists are building blocks. They're used foundationally throughout all the other assets in HubSpot. We're going to dive into a few of them. So let's look at, well, you can actually use lists in contact views. But here's the question, Ian. What's the difference between contact views and contact lists? Contact views is the screen where you can view all of your contacts, Craig. And you can uh, also filter and you can filter by contact owners. And so you could think of it, let's say you've got a list of customers and you just want to then filter. So you're you're calling the list membership. Let's just do the example you've got. You've got a list of, uh, I've got a list of hard balanced contacts, right? So we use that list and then we tell the individual salespeople with that hard balance list, find all the ones that you're the owner of, right? And contact those people because those are people we need to get their details updated for. So it's a great way to have a, let's call it like a superset of results. And then in a contact view, really narrow them down by contact owner activity or other filters that are available within the system. Yeah, that's right. I think that the main difference uh, that I'd like to highlight is that in contact views, so you've just gone into view contacts and you're using the normal filtering, you can only filter by contact properties. Whereas contact lists allow you to filter by all those other things that we talked about. You can filter, are they associated with deals? Are they associated with tickets? Do they have those behavioral engagement targeting pieces? So in contact views, you can actually use lists. Because contact views only are based on contact properties, the way to unlock power in contact views is to say, ah, oh, and they're a member of a list. 
So you build your lists with all your complex criteria and then even in views you can say, oh, just show me the contacts that are part of this list. That's how you get the full power all the criteria into your contact views. So that's the first example of using lists in another asset in HubSpot contact views. And I guess the other thing to note, Craig, is in a contact view, the operators that you can filter by are and operators, not negative or or operators. So just be aware of that. If you want to exclude certain things, you can't exclude them. So that's where the list comes in handy because you can exclude and include in the list. All right, so the next form of lists that we might use is lists in pop-up form targeting. And we talk about this a lot, don't we, Craig? We do. We love the targeting, behavioral targeting. We did discuss this last week in our forms episode, but we'll just reiterate at a high level that on the targeting screen on pop-ups, you can use behavior to show or hide pop-ups. So we just got a very simple example. It's a pop-up that's promoting the newsletter sign-up. Well, let's hide it if they've already signed up for the newsletter. So you just simply use the newsletter, a, a list to say hide if they're part of this list. Just improves the experience. It's all about improving the user experience for your visitors. All right. So the next one we're going to talk about is using lists in email marketing. And this segmentation enables us to send more relevant and better emails to people. And so what we're making sure we're doing is we are including and excluding as necessary to get to the right people. So you will see in this example, we've got an included list of people that we're promoting things for. And we're also excluding, including suppression lists and also people that have already signed up to a course in this example. So well worth utilizing that feature for inclusion and exclusion. All right. Another area is syncing audiences to ad platforms. And this, again, I don't think many people use. So I I think a number of people use the ads area in HubSpot. They link their ad platforms, Google ads, Facebook ads, LinkedIn ads. So they're getting all their campaign details coming through into HubSpot, but I don't think many people know that they can then sync lists back to the ad platforms as audiences. Has that been your experience, Ian, as well? Absolutely, Craig. And so in this example, we have audience lists that we have created that we might want to exclude being customers since they are customers. And then we've got opportunity lists where we want might want to include that. And a really simple way to do that is when someone becomes an opportunity is to use those lists to show them ads that may be to do with testimonials of people that have worked with you or what people are saying about your product or service. So that's a great way to utilize this list and target exactly the right people and get in front of them. All right. Now let's talk about using lists in workflows, Craig. This is one of those areas that is fundamental. You can use lists three ways in workflows. Probably the main way people are aware of is you can use a list to trigger the workflow, i.e. enroll them into a workflow. But you can also use workflow suppression functionality based on lists, and you can also set workflow goals based on lists, contact workflows, I should say, contact workflow goals. So we've got a few examples in the show notes. First, a very simple example of using a list to enroll people into a workflow, then the next is an example of how we use a suppression list in the settings for unenrollment. 
And then the third example is using uh, lists in goal criteria for workflow. So just so that people know that that screenshot that's in a particular workflow, in this workflow, it was a nurture workflow. And so we were sending it to a whole bunch of uh, warm prospects. But if they became a customer, in this case, a student of a particular online educational a system, if they became a student, then we drop them out of the workflow. You might ask, why do we use goals instead of just putting them in a suppression list? If they're a customer, I'll give them, suppress them. Well, one of the power tips in using goals in workflows is you can see where in the workflow that they met the goal criteria. So it's very handy. So there you go. Lists in workflows, you can use them in trigger criteria to enroll them. You can use them in suppression and you can use them also in goals. All right. Now using lists and reports. And uh, this is great when you're building custom reports in HubSpot. And what you want to be doing is making sure that you've got the list and you can use it as a contact filter in your report. So that's a great way. And you'll see an example where we use the filter of uh, the list that we have, which is people who have subscribed to get our show notes. I know we've said this before on the show, but it's worth repeating. Often people build custom reports and they try and create all this complex criteria on the fly in the report builder. We actually very rarely do that. Instead, we like to create lists and then just simply use the list in the report builder. So that's a bit of a pro tip uh, for listeners. Or, and I, this is probably our go-to. Always consider creating a list first and then just using the list in the custom report as opposed to trying to create all the criteria in the report on the fly. All right. The next thing we're going to talk about is using lists in smart content. And for those of you who... No, smart content requires a list to to get triggered. And so what you want to do is tailor it to a particular stage or interest of that user. And you can see in the example, we know that we want to display different content to customers. So in this really simple example, we essentially insert in the contacts company name into the text that's on the page so that they feel like it's personalized to them and their business when they're actually asking for a service request of a machine that they own in this example. Now we're going to talk about static lists, Craig. Well, in campaigns, we touched on campaigns a couple of episodes ago and we will be doing a whole future episode just on HubSpot campaigns tool. One of the things HubSpot's added recently is the ability to associate static lists with HubSpot campaigns. Now, I don't find this particularly useful, but it is a handy way, I guess, of simply viewing the contacts related to that campaign and, I guess, quickly drilling down. Not necessarily all the contacts in the campaign, but just a static list might be a subset of those contacts. Correct. And in this example that you are looking at, it's to do with uh, someone that was having a live event. And these were all the emails, forms and workflows that were utilized for the event. And then this was the actual final attendee list of all the people that registered. So that's why we added that in. And so we could see how well that campaign performed. All right. Using list to access customer portals, knowledge-based articles, and CMS pages, Craig. 
Listeners, if you're getting overwhelmed, there's so many. You, hopefully, you can see how important lists are because they're used throughout the system for everything. Access to areas is another area. Won't go through in detail. I've got a few screenshots, but if you want to protect area, it's almost like membership. Protect access to it. You use lists to control that. HubSpot's great. Takes care of all. Of, oh, okay. Uh, if you have access or not, or if you need to log in, here's a uh, username and password. Uh, but it's just a yet another area in which lists are used. And finally, let's talk about using lists in integrations. And so the mo- some of the most common ones are the ones we use for Xero, Neverbound, Salesforce, and using lists on cleaned up contacts or using a list, say, for example, of uh, opportunities or customers and synchronizing that with Xero and the same for Salesforce. So well worth making sure you've set up your lists correctly to make sure that we sync the right data. All right, HubSpot list gotchas, Craig. We discussed this a couple of episodes ago. I'm just going to remind listeners about the trap of using the is none of criteria. And we have screenshots here where you can see that the criteria is none of, I've got a whole example around favorite James Bond actor. I won't go through the whole uh, story here. But the point is, we very rarely use these kind of negative criteria, is none of, has never been, that kind of thing. And the reason is because sometimes uh, the negatives work against you. You kind of get caught with unexpected results. And that example has a whole work breakdown of it. The thing to remember, and I just want to highlight to people as part of the show, is none of or not any of can get you into trouble. So avoid them. Instead, just create positive. Is a member of, for example, lists and exclude them as opposed to the is none of. Excellent. Now, finally, our quote of the week, Craig. We've covered so much. Let's quickly recap what we covered today. We looked at lists. We looked at the types of lists, active versus static. And then we looked at the power of lists as building blocks really being around the criteria and how granular you could get. Then once we'd set that up, we looked at a whole bunch of examples. In fact, recommended lists that we set up in clients' portals and our own portals. That was the second part of the show. Then the third part was looking at, well, how fundamental lists are to the rest of HubSpot, how you use them in things like emails, workflows, campaigns, etc. So that's where we've come. I know we've covered a lot. It might seem overwhelming. I encourage you to sign up for the show notes. Go to hubshots.com slash subscribe and you can see them there, return to them at any time. But it's all about growth, isn't it? And what is our quote of the week, Ian? You've selected another ripper. Our quote of the week, Craig, is, without continual growth and progress, such words as improvement, achievement, and success have no meaning. And that's from Benjamin Franklin. Listeners, we'd love you to subscribe to the YouTube channel. We'd love you to subscribe to the show notes. And please feel free to share the show notes because we've had a few requests lately of people asking, can they share it? Yes, feel free to share the show notes and please feel free to connect with us online. Uh, if you get the show notes and you reply to the email, Craig will reply uh, answer you because it comes from Craig. And if you want to connect with myself, please connect with me on LinkedIn by just searching my name. Well, Craig, until next time. Catch you later, Ian. 
Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode of HubShots. To get the latest show notes, HubSpot tips and marketing resources, sign up at hubshots.com. You can also book time with us to help you grow better with HubSpot.